This is David Wilson and welcome to episode 41 of On Another Track. Welcome to On Another Track with me, David Wilson, exploring people and places from around the world. A podcast series that takes you where you've never been and probably where you never want to go. On Another Track is talking to people we can't meet with face to face. We use remote video technology and software to see what they have to say. There's no stone upturned here. This is this is what you see is what you get. I knew it would be like easy coming from the heart, like especially with you and just making sure that we're touching on all the points. Hopefully it reaches people. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> My first podcast. <laughs> That's the voice this week of my guest, Jessica Silver. She's a financial broker with the World Financial Group. I first got to know Jessica through my partner's massage therapy clinic. She was a registered massage therapist. What struck me about her was how conservative and how reserved she was when she was in that role. That's all changed. She's now become a financial broker at the World Financial Group and has transformed herself over the last three years. What she brings to the table is not just a perspective on financial health, but also on mental health and the role that plays and where you're going in life. My first question for Jessica was, if somebody met you, what would you tell them you do? So I'm a financial broker. So I like to say I'm like the Amazon of financial services because I partner with like so many different companies and I'm able to help everyone from cradle to grave when it comes to say setting up uh, someone's children's education fund to funeral planning. And it's something that I've been doing for the past almost three years now. And I've uh, moved up to a junior broker firm with like role with my firm. So and it's been great so far. I didn't realize it was three years. That's uh, That's gone incredibly quickly because we both know each other for quite a few years over the last probably five or 10 years. And I've been absolutely amazed how quick you've kind of taken to this alternative role. But that wasn't what you did before, was it? You did something completely different. What did you kind of do and what did you train in originally? Yeah, so I come from a massage therapy background and I actually did that for about 10 years. So a long time working with people's bodies and people's well-being. Um, and then when I made that transition because I found like, and massage therapy industry wasn't really that stable anymore um, out here in Alberta. Alberta money's oil money. So if the oil industry is not doing so good, the rest of the industry is not doing so good. And I found like with finances that it's one of the biggest stressors in people's lives. So if I could get to the root of this, that what's causing them the stress, then I felt like I could make a bigger impact. And that's a really great approach because what I love about it is that you went from the kind of what I call the um, almost the human side, you know, of, of kind of knowing, you know, you, you, you deal with the end result, don't you? Where, where you were massaging people, you were dealing with their kind of injuries that were caused by maybe stress, repetitive strain, mental uh, stress as well. And you would actually see it in the business that you were doing for that last 10 years. Yeah. So how did, how did that did that actually help you do what you do now in the financial services where you're trying to help people get de-stressed and figure out their finances and whatever? Did that really create a good link? Yeah, I found like it was an easy transition just because mostly getting the word out about what I'm doing. I've always had to put myself out there when it comes to getting new clientele, speaking about what I'm doing, getting my passion out there um, and relating to people that. Uh, it, it, math is pretty easy, but, <laughs> um, and just figuring out like simple solutions on what, um, or a different approach. Cause it's all perspective really. And if you can get a different perspective, you can find a different answer. I love the fact that you take a different perspective and that's kind of really important in the job that you do at the moment. But listen, we're going to keep your job that you do at the moment for, for a little bit later in the program. I want to talk about if somebody wanted to do massage therapy and say they weren't in Alberta and they weren't relying on oil money, but they were actually somewhere else, maybe North America, what's the, the, the prerequisites to going into a job like that? What are some of the things that you have to be able to do and um, what's the training like? The training, like I kind of varies across the board out here in Alberta. There is 
courses that you have to take. Uh, I believe it's still uh, 2,200 hours of practice that you need. Um, uh, I went through MACME, which gave me 3,000 hours, so I felt pretty secure with that. I'd say a great quality to have is if you feel that people are comfortable within your environment or being around you, and, and you create a safe space for them, you're going to be a great massage therapist because um, you're with people at their kind of most vulnerable moments. They're in pain. They're exposing themselves. They want help. So they need to feel comfortable with you. So if you have that built-in skill, you're going to do amazing. Um, and also please take care of your body throughout the process because it is a very physical demanding job. So you want to make sure that you're taking care and of your own physical health as well. That That's great advice. And I, I really love that because, um, you know, from my perspective, having been massaged by you, yeah. it's very unusual. I interview somebody that's actually massaged me, but it was, it was a great process. And because you knew the body so well and that 3000 hours, there's a lot of hours to put in, but, but do you think that's essential? You've got to do that many hours to really start to understand the the nooks and the crannies of the body and how it works and how it relates to other parts of the body. Is that essential doing 3000 hours? Do you think? I think so. Like the more you can understand a person's body and like, um, sometimes it really comes down to a person's trauma. Like we're not psychologists here, but, um, you have to understand that there is a connection between people's mental hurt and where it arises in the body as well. So, um, yeah, I'd say that 3000 hours is pretty essential, but if you want to take the 2200, then great. And here's the thing. I think you're underselling yourself a little bit. You say you're not the psychologist. Well, yeah, technically you're not the psychologist <laughs> in terms of a qualification, but how much of that talking to somebody and, and actually having that conversation with them, you know, not all the time through your massage, but maybe at the start and the end or having, you know, the pre-conversation, well, how important is that? And it's really important, actually. Like, there's some people that um, have come to me when in just extreme pain. I'm like, you know what? Just talk what a, what's ever on your heart. Just get it out because that's what's really eating you up inside. And um, sometimes, like, uh, I kind of, like, I describe myself as an empath as well. So people like to give all their uh, issues and worries and like just talk freely about it and like, okay, it's a safe space, not going to tell anyone. But um, when that happens, people start to feel a bit more relaxed because it's off their shoulders. They're, it's an open space for them. And through that, um, I'm able to dive a little bit deeper into where finding those points on the body and releasing that when we're like getting all that uh, past trauma inside of you out. And yeah, so it's very important. That's incredible how, you know, how you describe that. Now you've done different types of massage, is that correct? So the, what, what's the one that you train for as, as a, an RMT in North America? What type of massage is that? Yeah. So uh, I believe it just, uh, there's like Swedish massage. There's uh, like just clinical massage. Um, and then I also spent a couple of weeks in Thailand and their Thai massage. So how, how different is that to what we experience here in North America, Thai massage compared to standard North American massage, I'll call it, but it's not standard because it varies depending on what you want. Mm -hmm. What's the prime difference between the Asian sort of approach to thing maybe and the, the kind of North American approach? Starting from the training, I love the experience because we would start the practice or the training process with a meditation and a prayer to the Buddha. So you're already putting your state, like self in a state of connecting to source energy or a higher power that you're connected with. And then uh, you're working more alongside the in scientific terms, the lymph node system of the body. So you're working through passing all the toxins through that system. You're incorporating more stretches. So that way you're uh, elongating the muscles there. And it's very, um, it, it's also a longer process as well, because the average North American massage would be about 60 minutes, where uh, a typical Thai massage would be about two hours. Wow. Because you're really getting in there. So, yeah. Big, big difference, isn't it? And so that connection, not just with the body and trying to understand, you know, what's happening there, but that connection with the mind and the meditation is such an essential part, I suppose, of that process, isn't it? 
you can really see it in Thailand too, how connected they are to spirit and source everywhere you go. So it's pretty interesting how uh, close they are to their religion there compared to out here in North America. Yes, yeah, so we're slightly disconnected, although we're dealing with the kind of elements of somebody's pain, say a sore back or sore legs or, you know, achy shoulders or repetitive strain injury. What they really are doing there is that they say is it's a whole, isn't it? The body and the mind is a whole. Is that correct? Yeah. And so what did you feel after coming back from two weeks in Thailand? And I suppose anybody can go on these retreats or these training sessions. Is that correct? They run them all the time, do they? Actually, because of COVID, they did get a lot of their students from across the world. I'd meet people from across the United States, um, Australia and Germany, France, a lot of people from across the world came to this one school and they shut down because there was no travel. Are they starting to reopen though? Is that something if somebody was interested in doing, do you think that will eventually reopen? Do you know? Hopefully. I haven't heard any news about it because, yeah, okay. from my team. Well, fair enough. So, okay. So, so when you were younger, okay, did Jessica think at age uh, 11 or 12, I'm going to be a massage therapist? Not really. <laughs> So what was in your dreams and your heart? Um, it didn't really come across till like maybe when I was like 18 in Portugal and people would I would I'd ask me for like a massage and I'd just like do it and they're like, hey, this is something you should consider and didn't really take action on it until like a couple of years later. Wow. So so it was really by osmosis, you know, by getting to know family. And of course, being from a European background from Portugal, mm-hmm. um, I suppose there's a different approach to bodies and, you know, people touching each other and things like that. It's a little bit more relaxed, I think, from what I gather, especially in the Latin countries. Yeah. You know, people are okay with that. We always, like, greet each other with kisses on the cheek, so it's very close. Yeah. <laughs> so so that was interesting that somebody must have said, oh, you know, Jessica's great at this and blah, blah, blah. But but going back to when you were a kid, though, did you did what was your dreams in terms of what you wanted to do in terms of uh, a job? Did you have any dreams? Um, Kind of. Like, there was always, like, uh maybe an artist or um being a veterinarian like those kind of things I remember it's funny how um our schooling system really works nowadays but I remember a teacher asking us the same question and I said artists and they kind of like chiseled down your like break down your dreams and like oh artists it's really hard to get into you don't make much money kind of a thing and so it's funny when <laughs> some people who are in that higher position really want to take away your dreams at that point. Yeah, that's that's a really tough place to be because, you know, um, I think that's what life is made of, dreams. That's what pushes you forward. But here's the thing, though. What was interesting, you became almost like a body artist in, in a kind of an abstract way. Yeah. You were molding bodies and, you know, rejigging things and helping people to get well. So there was definitely that kind of feeding the heart and soul there, I think, you know, for sure. See, although you didn't go directly into art, you kind of went down the sidelines a little bit. Okay, let's fast forward to today then. So so suddenly, you know, you've got to that situation, and I think three years ago or thereabouts, you decided there's going to be a change in career. What kind of motivated that, do you think? Um, Definitely like with um, the collapse of being in the massage therapy industry. And um, I've actually been a client of the company for a couple of years. And there was a moment when uh, my senior broker reached out and she just asked me if I was keeping my options open. And I, I was like, you know what? Yeah, sure. Opportunities calling. I'll take a look at this. And yeah, from there, it's been really a great experience for me. Well, that's interesting. So did you have the usual kind of doubts in your mind that when somebody from a financial services organization reaches out to you, think, oh, here we go. What do they want to sell me? Are they going to rope me into a job that's commission only and I'm not going to earn money for six or 12 months? Because that's always the biggest worry about going into financial services, not just in Canada, of course, but also in UK and US, that a lot of it's commission based. Mm-hmm. So how did you, how did you, the company you work for, and you can mention the company's name, actually, how did they manage to overcome that fear that, that, that is a real fear of earning regular amount of money to pay your bills? Yeah, so to name the company, it's like World Financial Group. And when I was a client about five years ago, they did excellent work for me because my investments were in a GIC doing about a 2% return. So like 
and if now inflation is growing at 6%. So if your money is not growing greater than 6%, you're losing buying power in the future. So um, sat down with the advisors there. They did an excellent job. And the person I sat down with, I'm like, I was curious. I'm like, hey, how much money did you actually make from like my plan? And he's like, about 1700 I was like, okay, there's money to be made here. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And that time came when I got that phone call. I knew that, you know what, they did a really good job for myself. Maybe I can do this as well. What were some of the biggest stumbling blocks initially getting into it? Because, you know, you have to do a lot of training, a heck of a lot of training. You have to get a license, I imagine. Mm -hmm. And then you have to start to find clients. And that can all be very quite difficult mountains to kind of get up. Uh, so how did you break it down to bite-sized chunks and how did uh, how did they go about training you? They have an excellent training process where they you're partnered up with the senior. It's very much like an apprenticeship program. The senior does a lot of the work up front. So you're just learning in the beginning. And getting out there came from also my massage therapy skills and learning how to build referrals from there. But most of it, um, most of the challenges came from people who didn't see me as a financial advisor. They saw me as a massage therapist. And it's like, why would you want walk away from that? Don't, once again, it com comes back to that teacher. Why would you chase another dream? You're doing so good in this. Why, what, what's going on? And that kind of scares people. But I have to know that that's just the crab in the bucket mentality. It's like they want to try and pull you down because you're trying to reach for something greater. Some of those people I really admired and now like they came at a different light for me. So I had to overcome or reevaluate my relationship with them and how much they really appreciated me and what I was going for. So that was one of the biggest challenges. It was more of a heart challenge than anything. But when it comes to learning and building my skill in the industry, I'm a really quick learner. I can pick up things pretty good. So that wasn't too much of a challenge. It was more the mental challenge. Yeah. So on the mental side of things is that do you have to um, think about your relationships, your existing relationships with people and then how you can not necessarily sell the concept of financial advice, but to show that you could be a good resource for for their personal situation. Because I can imagine there's some approaches you have where you're not going to apply to everybody. You know, there's some people in difficult financial situations where it takes a specialist maybe to bolt into that and then get their finances sorted out. But how did you manage to approach people from the mental perspective to gain their trust? What What's the sort of techniques that you would use? I guess always feeding them good news about things that I've done and um, things, people that I've already helped and showing them that like, this is a good thing. I am helping people in great ways. One of the biggest things is helping my sister and like she's on an excellent path to retirement and her moving her money to me and having me as her advisor was the best decision she's ever made. Let's put some meat on the bone there. You know, it's nice having your sister being an advocate for what you do. And, and, and I'm sure that's, you know, totally believable. But if somebody was coming along today and they've just met you and say they've done the traditional investments through the banks, say in North America or in Canada, mm -hmm. what would be some of the things that you would advise them to look at? What are some of the perspectives that they could take to say, you know, Jessica's onto something here? So it'd be more about figuring out what their personal goals are and like diving deeper to what they want to accomplish. Cause we know that we don't really get that service when it comes to the banks. Like they're not really um, going above and beyond and figuring out what's important to us. It's more like, this is what we can do for you, A, B, or C, which one kind of thing. So if they can actually see me actually finding out what is important to them and then coming back with a solution that fits their needs, then they can feel heard by me. It's a little bit more of like a process than a bank, but it's really, what do you really want to accomplish? What do you want the cookie cutter kind of experience that we've seen not a lot of people make their way to retirement because of it? Or do you want that uh, person who is diving into what you want to accomplish being by your side and making sure that you're achieving your goals financially. So it really comes down to that person really feeling your heart and what you want. I'm going to ask you a question out of the blue here. <laughs> so what's your uh, big, hairy, audacious goal? What do you want to achieve out of your life? 
Um, it's a good question. <laughs> I, I would like to retire my dad in Portugal. I'd like to uh, make sure that we're keeping some of the family land out there within our name and having him just not worry about going to work right now and being able to spend more time with his family. It's not really so much of a me personal thing. Mine is just, I have a huger mission of finding more justice than anything. I don't really need things. It's more, what can I do to create more truth and awareness right now? Well, that's going to be an interesting point to talk about. So I'd love to talk, leave that tour just a, f- a little bit later because mm-hmm. I want to dive into Jessica Silver and her background. So I want to know the soft underbelly in the backstory. So obviously with uh, the surname Silver, that, that, that's a Portuguese, traditional Portuguese name. So tell us a little bit about your mum and dad and where the family came from in Portugal. They're from a tiny, 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 tiny island called San Miguel. And I've been there, I was there in 2016. And pretty much everywhere you look, you can see the ocean. It's it's a beautiful place and very green and beautiful blue oceans. And um, they came to Canada. Dad was about... 17, 16, mom was a little bit younger than that. And they've uh, been here ever since. And um, yeah, they, so I came from a immigrant lifestyle kind of a thing, born and raised in that immigrant family and very hardworking people. Mom actually was uh, advisor at Scotiabank. Wow. So follow, So that's really interesting. So following your mom's footsteps almost, uh-huh. eh? That's, uh, yeah. Well, but that's it. There's a similarity there. So did uh, did mum and dad meet here uh, independently or did they meet in Portugal? They met here at, get this, a soccer game, a Portuguese soccer oh. game. Yeah. <laughs> and who who won? Did Portugal win? Uh, I don't know. I'm pretty sure they were locked <laughs> on eyes on each other than the game. <laughs> oh, that was fantastic. So that was it. Kind of love at first sight almost, eh? Mm-hmm. Incredible. So, um, so mum was was with Scotia Bank and sort of got a financial background. What did dad do out of interest? Yeah, dad is a landscaper, so he's been he's been doing that for a long, long time now. Still does it today. And and I know this is probably very close to you because I know some personal information. But mum passed, didn't she? She she's not alive anymore. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So she passed uh, December twenty third, uh, twenty ten. Oh gosh. So. You've been a long time without her, and your dad's been a long time without her. Did um, have you got a big family though? Is there is there many brothers and sisters in the family? So on my mom's side, there is about eleven, and then on my dad's side, there's seven. Majority of them are here in Alberta, wow, through Ottawa, and some still in Portugal. My goodness, and do you have brothers and sisters as well? Yeah, so just the one younger sister. Getting together as families are is going to be great fun because there's going to be a well extended family there, definitely. Eh? <laughs> do you get a chance to go back to Portugal very often? Not very often, and I guess with the new regulations, um, I'm not going to put my body on the line for a plane ticket right now. What are some of the things that are very close to your heart at the moment? Now that you've got your independence in terms of the job that you're doing, you're really enjoying it, but what are the, some of the things that are really foremost for you at the moment in, in, in the current sort of situation? And mental health is a huge one because we, even myself, I've uh, had dark times in, in my own personal headspace. So um, something that I've been really focusing more on is Dr. Joe Dispenza's work. And he uh, uh, really dives into the quantum field. And I've been doing more research when it comes to the quantum field and understanding the, once again, mind-body connection. I always come back to it. Well, that's really interesting. I'm going to to stop you there because I want to know a little bit about it. So so repeat the doctor's name and what is the quantum field all about? Tell me all about that. So it's Dr. Joe Dispenza. And the quantum field is kind of like the fifth dimension of where reality is kind of lie. So right now we're in like the third dimension. And um, so that's where everything is known. So everything like our, our phones, how we're talking, this reality, it's all known things. And then going into the fourth dimension, then it, that's everything that's uh, no thing. It's the bridge between the fifth dimension. 
that's like no thing, no one, nowhere, you're in no time, nothing exists. And then once you're in that point, you get to the fifth dimension where there's you're connected to everything. There's a wholeness there. You're connected to that higher spirit. And from that point, when you can connect to that uh, internal state of being, then we have really powerful healing properties where we can start to heal ourselves from incredible, like, uh, well, like from serious ailments kind of a thing. And Dr. Joe has done amazing workshops to help people who have had brain tumors and completely clear that away. I, I totally understand where you're coming from because we did do, I think it was um, episode 12 of One Another Track. I had a guy by the name of Hal Bastian and we talked about going to that different place in your mind and your body where you could let go of trauma. You could let go of things that had happened way back in your childhood. And it wasn't always easy because there were some, you know, sticking blocks, things that you could let go and forgive. And there were other things that you had to move off to the, the virtual campfire and have a conversation, a virtual conversation about to, be able to let go of it. So are we saying that the fifth dimension, what we're talking about here is very similar to maybe the meditation, getting the third eye, mm -hmm. getting to that zone where you can be in the moment with body and mind and then start to really release some of the toxins and the... The, the, the kind of the pent up emotions, the, the things that have hurt you. Is, is that really where we're going with this? Yeah. So it's when you're really silent and you're creating that brain and heart coherence because the power of that heart and brain coherence and you're opening up your pineal gland and that's where all the magic happens. But you need that strong heart connection. It's the automatic nervous system. So when you can get into the sympathetic nervous system, that's where like you feel your heartbeat really increase. And then that's where the magic really starts to happen. It's incredible. I've heard of people who are very good at that sort of dimension in their, their body and mind where maybe they had a trauma or they're seriously hurt. They're in a, a hospital situation and they know that they're dying, but they have to preserve life. They have to get into a different state to say, right, let's slow things down. Let's let's make sure that I only you know activate the things I need to act to conserve energy. Is it almost on that level? Is it that kind of that that different conscious level? You really have to be really conscious of what your thoughts are because your thoughts are a huge connector to what you're creating in your body. If you're thinking that you're unhealthy you're going to create unhealthy thoughts and or uh, unhealthy lesions i don't know something like that no i know what you're getting at it's it's like a, almost like um you can visualize what you want there's a lot in north america where they say okay if you want to achieve something mm -hmm. write it up on the board and visualize it yeah. and say that's what you're going to do and what we're really doing is that, that we're, we're going back to a basic human thing is that you know that you've got to get something to eat you have to visualize i've got to get something to eat because i've got to feed a family mm -hmm. so you go out and hunt with the intention of doing it and so what you're really saying is that it doesn't necessarily have to be written up, but you have to have that intention in mind. You have to focus on that. You really have to be aware of what vibration you're sending out. If you're in a constant vibration of fear, worry, and uh, doubt, anything that is a lower vibration, it's going to cause more disharmony or dis-ease in the body. I totally understand that. I do because people pick up on a, an atmosphere, don't mm -hmm. they? They can cut the atmosphere with a knife. That's the expression. When you go into a room and you can feel it, where's that coming from? Where's that? Is that an energy that you feel? It's your electromagnetic field. Yeah. So that's your little aura that you're sending off. Wow. And so even though you might be saying something, the feeling doesn't feel right. It's the kind of gut reaction, isn't it? It's right down there in the, the gut and the soul, isn't yeah. it? So here, I'm intrigued. How did you start to go on this journey and find out about this? What, where did it start? It started with getting into the financial industry because they've like incorporated personal development into kind of like the training process because the better we can understand ourselves, the better we can serve other people. Dr. Joe came up and I'm like, you know what? This stuff kind of makes sense. I um, listened to his book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, and then I really dived into um, his Becoming Supernatural book. And he also has a weekend workshop that you can do on the streaming platform Gaia. Well, you know, actually, in many ways, um, as human beings, in order to survive the known world, we have to have an escape. It's so, so important. It has to be the yin and the yang. I always say this in the show, that 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 you, this is what's happening at the moment. And if that becomes too much, there's a couple of things that are going to happen. You're either going to have a nervous breakdown mm -hmm. 
Um, and, you know, you, you're going to be so worried about that. You're going to be worried about your family. Why don't you preempt that and, and hit the safety valve? And the safety valve could be music. It could be art. Mm-hmm. It could be meditation. But it, like you say, what you've discovered, there's another world there that doesn't have to be so conscious as such. It can be just something that washes over you. You can let it wash over you because if you open your mind up, things do wash over and you start to, you start to see things in your mind. It's a little bit when I was much younger and I was trying to do a bit of meditation. Every time you saw a vision that comes into your mind as you half closed your eyes and did your breathing, you watched your breath. And as you saw that, you said, okay, let that one go and it would slide away, you know. And I used to think of that type of thing as like a theatre, you know, where the curtains are coming to, to a close and then you go to that dark space and you, you see the third eye. And a lot of people won't understand this unless they've done meditation, but I totally get what you're you're doing. And, and it's very surprising that a financial company supports you in that. But doesn't that make you think that the people at the top have figured that out already as well? They understand that concept of what makes a human tick. They often say the best investment you can do is in yourself. Totally. They have done a whole bunch of personal development, reading a whole bunch of books. And by reading, you're really, leaders are readers. So they want to make sure that filling your mind with good information, staying informed. And that's uh, really kind of the environment that has been created with World Financial Group. And I'm really grateful for it because it led me down this path. Just over halfway through listening to On On The Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week is Jessica Silver of World Financial Group. Next, I wanted to ask Jessica a little bit about who she admires most in her life and who has influenced her on her journey. Please be aware this part of the show contains references to sexual assault and suicide and may be difficult for some listeners to listen to. Yes, um... Uh, mom would come to mind too. She was a huge person who um, has also led me down this path as well. Because, uh, of course, you know this, but I lost her to suicide, and it was a very hard time for my entire family. And it, if I could understand more about how we can actually heal ourselves and uh, help other people through that process, then um, then it, that's a huge mission statement of mine. Yeah, and thank you for being honest about that because that's um, that's a tough place to go. Uh, and I, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about Mum. Did did you did you find out what really pulled her down? What were the things that were weighing on her shoulders? And maybe if you could talk about that, if you feel comfortable, and then how you've rectified that, how you've stopped or broken that link. So she has had a very tough living. Um, She has told my sister and I how she was raped by her uncle back in like the old country. And um, that is a huge factor in what people's mental psyche is. It can can break that link that people block all those memories and then it resurfaces whether it comes through um, medical like disease that's created in the body or it can create that mental disharmony as well so I really had to like dive deep into what a person goes through that and it a lot of it surfaced throughout my childhood she um she, she was diagnosed with bipolar, I believe, when I was in, like, elementary age around there. And then you can start to see the cycles kind of repeat themselves. There would be the highs and lows and uh, going through all that. And sometimes you can even see the flip of a switch between the emotions. And I really want to understand more of what people's emotions, because... I felt like a very early understanding that we have the power to control our emotions and our thoughts. So I didn't understand how she was so out of control. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I didn't realize that it had gone as far as the abuse that you just mentioned there. And, you know, thank you for sharing that. It's a difficult place to go, but you know what? I think in these situations, honesty and clarity is so important to help other people, you know? And so, 
how did you build on that? You know, of okay, mum's not here anymore, but what is our legacy for you? What are you looking out for? Not just for yourself mm-hmm. and your family, but for maybe your potentially your children, your family. Truth. And I feel that truth isn't can be a harsh, ugly thing. It can cause it can be a whole mess of things but through finding out more truth we can start to heal because we can start to find solutions and build from it so if we can find the truth about ourselves about other people about our society then we can start to break down these false walls that have been built around ourselves and start to heal and What's been the biggest healer for you, do you think, when you look at the perspective you've got now, you look at back at mum's life, you look at the struggles that she had and your family, and now you're in a different place. You've got a great job, a great career. You've got people that really are supporting you. What's your perspective on life now? How are you looking ahead and how are you building that great life ahead? What does that look like? My healing journey wasn't always easy. And I found that it became easier once I started to share my story and break down those walls about what I had for myself, like what, what I'd gone through. Cause if I didn't share that, I could feel that buildup of toxic energy with inside myself. And it wasn't doing any good because I thought I was protecting other people from my problems. And when I started to break down those walls, then I really start to feel that it created that um, environment for other people to share their stories and become more open and create more genuine co- connections with people. Yeah, and that's you, you summed up that so, so well because um, it's that almost that vulnerability really creates those really strong connections. People don't really think of that. They think, it, oh, I'm going to show my weakness here and then I'm going to be vulnerable um, and going to be taken advantage of. But often as not, I think if you've, revealed your inner core sometimes to people the reactions have been what quite surprising do you think or quite positive yeah it's been quite positive or like uh, people would just start to share their own experiences and then when you can like look at another person and like realize that we're pretty much all the same we've gone through all different struggles in our life And if we can just approach from a heart-to-heart connection, then we can actually create something way different. Way different and And positive, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and positive, that's right. Okay, and thank you so much. I really appreciate it because, you know, I didn't really know how far we were going to go there, but, you know, you revealed your heart and your soul there. And I think for other people listening, it's... It's heart-rendering, but it's lovely to see you successful and and so much going in the direction that you want to go. So let's bring it all up to date, okay? Let's let's uh, bring Jessica self up to date and say, okay, so where are you in your career then, uh, relatively speaking? You started three years ago. Where are you now? Yeah, so actually it's been an interesting ride because a lot of my experience through the financial industry has been through this pandemic. And um, what we've experienced is like record-breaking months after record-breaking months after record-breaking months. And it's been fantastic. People are looking for more strategies when it comes to their finances, making sure they're getting more protection if they need it. But some things that came up that were pretty interesting is some of the underwriting questions that we were asking for life insurance policies. And one that was most interesting was that um, have you ever been hospitalized for COVID-19 within the past 12 months? And I've never answered yes to that question. So I really started to wonder, I'm like, okay, is the ICU numbers lying or like, am I just getting all the people who have never been in the ICU? Interesting. So that does raise very interesting questions. And I know I've gone down this road a couple of times with some of my guests is that, um, some of the things that are coming from mainstream media, and I know this is something you've you've uh, figured out, I think, as well, doesn't seem to chime well with what's happening on the ground. And, and I'm glad you've brought this point up because we have some friends in the medical field here in Alberta who are, um, have been working at the front line. They're uh, paramedics. And 95% of the people that have taken a hospital in the last sort of probably six or nine months have been due to... Um, side effects of the vaccine, the COVID-19 vaccine, you know, the heart situation. Mm-hmm. Only about 5% of people that have been COVID, COVID um, 
you know, sort of infections. So that kind of chimes quite interestingly with what you're just saying. Mm-hmm. So what's your conclusion from that? Have you have you kind of delved a little bit deeper into it to find out what you think is might be happening? I have. And um, I was searching on my product provider pages and like some found some like frequently asked questions, some links and came across a website that I saved as a document. It's from the Canadian Life and Health Insurance Association. This association is worth $950 billion in assets. I believe like they houses most of the insurance companies. And they do state that there is misinformation being spread about the COVID-19 vaccine and your ability to get life insurance or any kind of critical illness insurance and coverage. Um, they go on to state that getting the vaccine will not affect your workplace benefits or your personal life insurance vaccine and or the ability to get coverage in the future. So it's good news. No matter what, you can go out and get your policies and have it secure that it is going to pay out in the case that anything does happen. They also go on to state that uh, vaccination is one of the most effective ways to protect yourself and others from serious illness and death from COVID-19. So when I kind of read that, I was like, seems like the insurance industries and the pharmaceutical industries are kind of buddy-buddy. What happens in the insurance world is if anyone is diagnosed with a heart attack or a stroke, their chances of being approved for insurance pretty much goes out the window. There is a different options, but you're going to start paying an arm and a leg for those premium policies. So a huge mission of mine now is making sure that we get enough policies in place before these side effects start to happen. So that way we can hold these insurance companies accountable and maybe even squeeze the truth out of them for the amount of claims that they're paying out. And if we start putting more in the policies in place in the younger age bracket, and they start to see an increase in percentage of claims within the younger ones, then that really starts to create waves. This is this is very interesting because with your specialist knowledge of the industry, I know I certainly wasn't aware that that was a perspective that some of the insurance companies or the, the organisation that covers the insurance companies was taking. So why do you think that they're, and, and again, this is antidotal, we're not saying this is all based on evidence, mm-hmm. it's based on conjecture and the way that we view things. But from your experience, why do you think that that, that is the message that's been delivered that, you know, it's not, it's, in your eyes, it's not truthful. It's, it's a little bit kind of, you know, it's not telling people the facts. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Of fair to say, like, um, if you're following like Robert Malone, who's the inventor of the mRNA vaccine, he mentions that vaccinating children is not necessary at all. Like, there's mm-hmm. no need for that, or anyone who has gotten COVID and recovered from it, there's really no need for a vaccine. You've got the antibodies inside of you. So, there, we have seen. Uh, I'm probably sure you've seen like there's been children who have been experienced like strokes or heart attacks. There's articles that have been coming out. And this is my perspective or critical thinking just working. But if they continue to jab people within the younger age bracket and create a generation of uninsurable uh, people, then they get to keep like these giant corporations get to keep that 950 billion in assets kind of well intact with the companies. So it kind of creates that Mm -hmm. dependency on government that we need them because we're no longer insurable to get the coverage for ourselves to making sure that we're protecting our legacy in our own hands, kind of sense. Okay, and I, I want to just uh, reassure our listeners that we you know, we we don't have any medical training, so we're we're basing this on information that we've picked up through different you know avenues through the internet and what have you. But I think fair to say, because you're in the industry, you're actually at the coal face. You're dealing with insurance policies every day. You've got an inside view on this. This is something that not a lot of people get aspect or a perspective on. They they don't always know about. Mm-hmm. It. So thank you very much for making that 
something to to at least get out there in the you know in the ether as I call it. Um, I, let's leave it at that because I think that's really important. I think what I'd like to do is is maybe move on to say, okay, if somebody was looking to come into the financial services industry, okay, mm-hmm. what do you think is the best way for anybody of any age to 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 give this potential career a go? You know, what do they need to be thinking about? And how do they need to position themselves? And what's the easiest way into the industry, do you think? I think the easiest way is like through kind of like doing it part time, seeing if it's something for you and um, making sure that you're getting an understanding of like how it can actually help people. I think WFG does like a really great job of providing financial education to the public because it's not something that's really fully incorporated when it comes to our schooling system, when it comes to like junior high or high school. So I think we do an excellent job of creating a 20, 30 minute presentation and informing people about finances and how they can properly protect themselves. So if you see yourself being in line with a mission that is to eliminate financial illiteracy. Great. Fantastic. This is something for you and making sure that we're protecting the next generation and making sure that they aren't being misled or kind of misinformed to what the financial education really is and what uh, products and services are available to them. And that's fair enough. And again, are we saying that anybody from any educational background can actually come into this industry? Is that fair to say if you've got a grade 12 right the way through to a university degree? Yeah. It's open to you. It's a, it's a no, no barriers. No, well, there's just a one course that you have to take the harmonized life license qualification program. And there's been plenty of success examples of people who come from a waitressing background to doctors have uh, transitioned into the field. It's a wide spectrum. And it really, the only thing that knocks people out is the belief level they have in themselves. And that's a fair comment. I think that's the same for going for any career. Now, just to, to really go back to the worries that some people might have, is the industry, um, is it is it a salary-based industry? Is it commission-based industry? Or is it a combination of the two when you first start? How does that work? Majority of it, when you start, it's a commission-based industry. So um, you're we only get paid when we help put a financial plan in place for someone. Um, over time, you can start to create a revenue of income of like passive income for yourself by building a book of business, maintaining relationships with your clients. That's something like down the road, but majority is it upfront commission. Okay. And it realistically, and and you did advise doing it part-time, which is great advice. How long before you can see some, um, you know, benefit to your efforts in terms of your, your work effort is, is it like a, a six to 12 months? Is it three to six months in your experience? How long does it take to start to see some income coming in? My experience, it took me like about a year and three quarters to actually like gain the traction where I can like have the income doing this and I can support myself full time. Um, some people have done it way faster. There's a man in Quebec. He started when he was 18 years old. And then with the next year, he made like a hundred thousand dollars a year with their business. So it really, it's a wide spectrum to what people can accomplish and how much time you put into this. Um, but realistically, um, like if you give this like five years of hard work, we can see you making six figures a year with our business. That's fantastic. Okay. All right. So just remind the listeners again, what sort of level of service that your company can offer and what you can offer to them? I can do everything from children's education, savings plans, debt reduction, funeral planning, getting your investments working harder for you when it comes to your TFSA or RSP, getting you the proper insurance in place, whether it be critical illness insurance, life insurance. And um, when it comes to working with corporations, there's like tax sheltering strategies we can use as well to protect more of your revenue from taxes as well. that's really good. And to be fair to everybody, I always like to flip the coin over. Is there anything you specifically don't deal with as such, but you can still help people by referring them somewhere else? 
Um, I guess mortgages, because I don't, I'm not a mortgage broker. Yeah, I'm not. I, I don't work with mortgages, but I can refer uh, to great mortgage specialists that can help a person with, through that process. Fantastic. Okay. And um, whereabouts is is your company based? Are they all over the you know Canada, North America, around the world? What's World Financial? I suppose it's all around <laughs> the world, but no. But specifically, are they based in every major country in the world, or is it just purely North American company? Uh, North America and Puerto Rico. Okay. So so mainly North American based. Okay. So. Um, it's been absolutely amazing. This has been a bit of a roller coaster ride because, like I say, we know each other very, very much over the last five, ten years, and there's some things I didn't know. And you know, like I say, I'm so privileged to have listened to it firsthand. And thank you for sharing because that's really been important. I think people can gain some solace from that and also some direction, hopefully. Um, but I do have one other question. I again ask all my uh, interviews this question. I say, if you were 18 again and maybe that's a little bit too close to home because you're still very young <laughs> but if you were if you were sort of you know young again just leaving school um what would Jessica say to herself um it would to it'd be live life more in the present moment and also just hug mom more yeah wow wow yeah that's yeah that that sums it up yeah. I think dads have to be in there as yes. well though. Come on. <laughs> I know, but I, I know, I know why you said it, but I do understand what you're saying. In other words, be present and be with the family and appreciate, you know, because you don't always appreciate them, do you? At the time. That's yeah. the thing. Well, Jessica Silva, I want to wish you the best of luck. I think you've done fantastic over the last three years. I can't believe how quick that three years has gone and you're absolutely fantastic. And, and I hope you still keep your hand in a massage therapy because you've been <laughs> wonderful. All right, but listen, the best of luck in your future endeavours and thanks for spending some time with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, David. You've been listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week was Jessica Silver from World Financial Group, helping you to invest in yourself and your future. Remember, there are more conversations coming up in this series. Just look out for On Another Track with me, David Wilson, on your local podcast platform and subscribe. This has been a BritCam production for Urban Aspect Incorporated. Keeping us safe on the roads of North America.